Coming up this week, what is Extreme E? Hyundai debuts the Ionic 5, Lucid goes public, and more. Welcome back, friends. Welcome to episode 54 of the EV Resource Podcast. My name is Zach Hurst, and each week I bring you the latest EV news, information, and answers to your questions about electric vehicles. I do have a new executive producer to celebrate on Patreon. Greg Fuller of Voltage Velocity Games has joined the EV Resource family as a Patreon supporter at the executive producer tier. In addition to being recognized each and every week at the end of the show, executive producers also receive a monthly bonus episode, access to the EV Resource Magazine, and receive this podcast ad-free. Speaking of which, before we get started with the news this week, I want to thank our podcast partner, Titan Auto & Tire in Mosley, Virginia, for their support. Titan is one of the very few independent shops in Central Virginia that are qualified to work on EVs, and from hybrids to Hummers, they fix everything. For more information and to schedule an appointment for your vehicle, go to TitanAutoTire.com. That's TitanAutoTire.com. So we'll start off the news this week with Hyundai. They've had a roller coaster of a week, and I'll actually start off with the bad news to get that out of the way first. Hyundai will recall 82,000 electric cars globally to replace their batteries after 15 reports of fires involving the vehicles. Despite the relatively small number of cars involved, Hyundai's recall is one of the most expensive in history. According to CNN, the recall will cost Hyundai $900 million. On a per-vehicle basis, that's an average cost of $11,000, an astronomically high number for a recall. Now, luckily, no one was injured in any of the Hyundai fires, many of which took place after the cars were shut off and sitting empty. And it's worth noting, none of the fires took place in the United States. The U.S. National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or NHTSA, estimated last October that there are 6,700 electric Hyundai Konas, the U.S. version of the recalled vehicles, on American roads. Hyundai said an investigation into the fires showed that the car's defective LG-made battery cells could short-circuit. LG, in return, has said that they will cooperate with the recall and the Korean Transport Ministry's ongoing investigation, but denied that they were the reason for the fires. In a statement, LG said, quote, The fire was not recreated in the lab test, and the issue was an early mass production problem in Hyundai Motors' dedicated line. The company will further strengthen safety in all processes and from production plan to manufacturing and inspection, end quote. Either way, whether it's an LG issue or a Hyundai issue, what I find most saddening about this is this is 82,000 battery packs, most of which are probably fine, that now they're being pulled and replaced. That's 82,000 new packs that will not be making it into 82,000 new EVs. That is a massive setback to getting more EVs on the roads. Yes, we want them to be safe, but something I've learned along the road of life, if you will, is that the fastest way to do something is to do it right the first time. Now, obviously, that's not possible always. Mistakes will be made and lessons will be learned. But whatever the problem is, LG or Hyundai specific, it's best to learn from the issue and correct things quickly and move on. And moving on to the happy Hyundai news this week, the Ionic 5 is here. 
and what an amazing car it is. I'm not going to speak to the styling of the car too much because opinions about car design are as abundant as, well, you know, everybody's got one. Instead, I'd like to talk about how amazing this car is technologically. It's really setting a new bar for what EVs should have going forwards. All right, so first let's talk about the boring stuff that you should know. Underpinning all of this is the new eGIMP or Electric Global Modular Platform, E-G-M-P, eGIMP. Built specifically as an electric platform, the flexible underpinnings will also be used for the Ionic 6 and a larger SUV, the Ionic 7. And as with most battery-specific platforms, it features a skateboard layout giving a flat interior floor. Two battery sizes will be available, 62.6 kilowatt hours and 58 kilowatt hours. Both will be available in either rear or all-wheel drive. The maximum range for the 72 kilowatt hour battery is rated at 292 miles. Hyundai didn't disclose the range for the smaller battery pack. The most powerful version of the Ionic 5 will be dual motor all-wheel drive with a combined power of 302 horsepower and 446 pound-feet of torque. They say it will cover 0 to 62 miles an hour or 100 kilometers per hour in 5.2 seconds and capable of a top speed of 115 miles an hour. The slowest version with the 58 kilowatt hour battery has only 167 brake horsepower and a rear wheel drive setup, and it manages zero to 62 miles an hour in eight and a half seconds. It's still fast enough for most people. In fact, if you don't care about speed, that will be plenty. Okay, but here's the really exciting stuff. The Ionic 5 utilizes an 800 volt architecture. And why is that important? Well, it means that charging will be fast very fast. Hyundai actually claims that it only takes 18 minutes to charge from 10 to 80% battery using a 350 volt charger. The only other vehicle right now that really is popular for using an 800 volt architecture is the Porsche Taycan. For the Ionic 5, Hyundai has done something that is a first. Owners can use the stored energy in the battery pack to power many things. For example, you could power appliances inside or outside of the car by plugging into an outlet connector that is positioned underneath the back seat. Like if your legs are sitting out there, it would kind of be uh, against the back seat underneath. What's cooler is that you could use that to charge other EVs because this charging port, it's actually two uh, plug ports they can deliver up to 3.6 kilowatts of power. So this is massive. You can charge another EV from the Ionic 5. You could power things on your house if the power goes out. And what's really cool is that the charging port, you can plug into that and use it even when the Ionic 5 is not turned on. This is a big, big deal. It's much bigger of a deal than I think people are giving it credit. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Sorry, that's cheesy. Anyway, there will be optional solar panels on the roof. Yes, another solar panel option. And while pricing for the option hasn't been revealed yet, Hyundai says that the vehicle's solar panel can help extend the range by up to about three miles a day uh, if it's driven in locations that see a healthy amount of sunny days, obviously. Which, that isn't much, but... How many solar miles does your car get all by itself? Okay, there you see the value. 
you could take this out and go camping and provided that it's sunny and you're parked in a sunny spot, you could park there for a week and get 20 miles of range back home. Uh, but more importantly, I don't think it's about the range. Using a solar panel to charge the battery means that now if you're using the battery to power other things, that's right. Now you're using the solar power to power your appliances or devices or to charge your phone or whatever. And that, I think, is really cool. I am really excited for this car, and not because of what it is or even that I'd want one, but I'm excited because of all these features that it's bringing. We will very likely see other manufacturers adopt this type of technology in the future, and that is great because it's really highlighting the power of having stored energy. If you can use that, then it really just the difference between a gas-powered car and an EV is just highlighted even further. And the more things that you can use your car to do other than get you from A to B, the more things that it can do. I think it's just going to help accelerate adoption to EVs because people are going to go, oh, well, I can get from point to point with this car, but look at all I can do with this car. I want that one. Uh, so that's why I am really, really excited about this. And all right, so now some quick headlines before moving on to the big story of the week, talking about Extreme E and really diving into what it's all about. So these quick headlines, I'm just going to go through kind of back to back, I'm not going to dive in a whole lot. And uh, we're going to fly through it. If you want more information about any of these stories, um, honestly, Google it and you can find everything that you could possibly want to know uh, if you want to know more. So the first, Lucid, has gone public with Special Purpose Acquisition Company, or SPAC, Churchill Capital 4. This deal is worth about $12 million, and that means that Lucid will have more money to work with and be able to do bigger and better things, or just maybe produce the vehicles they've already showed us. The Lucid Air is going to be awesome, and I can't wait. Next, Tesla has eliminated the standard range Model Y, the one I was waiting for, looking forward to buying, just a few days after lowering its price and only a month after introducing the trim option. <sighs> Bummer. Okay, they have also shut down the Fremont factory production lines for the Model 3 for a few days, likely due to supply issues. There was rumors of some other stuff, but probably due to supply issues. They are back up and running now, so this probably won't have much impact on the business. Another bigger story of the week, the U.S. Postal Service has awarded a defense contractor a contract to build the next generation of mail delivery vehicles. Some will be electric, which obviously that's why I'm talking about it. And yes, some will still be gas and diesel powered, but to be able to convert to electric later on as electric technology advances. And before you say anything about them not being all of them electric, just keep in mind that some of the mail routes are in extremely remote areas where there's not gonna be charging, uh, and the mail gets delivered in the coldest of winter, the rainiest of just worst conditions possible. So this honestly is probably the best path forward. Washington State has advanced a bill that says they will ban gas-powered cars by the year 2030, beating California's plan by five years. And lastly, the Polestar 2 is now available for test drives in select cities around the U.S. Those would be Mawad, New Jersey, where the Polestar headquarters is located, New York City, New York, Corte Madera, California, Santa Monica, California, Palo Alto, California. If you don't live anywhere near those cities, you 
and I will just have to wait for them to expand the program. All right, so now I'm going to get into the title story or everything that honestly I'm most excited about this week. What is Extreme E? What's it all about? What are they doing? What's the purpose? How's it going? And what's the plan? So let's dive in. Introducing Extreme E, the world's first all-electric rally series. Racing around the world in a bid to highlight the most important climate issues of our generation. Teams and sponsors from around the world. With elite male and female drivers. Let's go. Racing as equals. Go! In the most remote corners of planet Earth that remain at risk. Extreme E is here to revolutionize the world of motorsports. <laughs> this is going to be the most extreme motorsport. I'm super impressed. I'm still trying to adapt to it. It's really important for women in motorsports to be highlighted like this. It's brand new. Extreme E. The electric odyssey starts now. So here's how it's all going to work. Eight teams made up of 16 drivers, one male and one female driver for each team, will race in five carefully selected locations all around the world that have been chosen because they highlight the climate change challenges across the globe. Each race will consist of two laps over a distance of approximately 16 kilometers. Each driver will race one lap each, swapping after the first lap. The order of the drivers is actually going to be a strategic decision left up to the teams for them to make. The race weekends will consist of two action-packed days, qualifying sessions on day one, and semifinal races and the final on day two. So here's how it all breaks down. On day one, each team will race twice, once in qualifying one, and then once in qualifying two. The top four qualifiers after day one will be the lineup of the first semifinal race. So there's only going to be four racing at any given time. The bottom four will then go into semifinal two, which Extreme E is calling the crazy race. Then the top three finishers of semifinal one and the single top finisher of the crazy race will compete in the final. The first to cross the finish line in the final race will be crowned the event winner. And to make it more interesting, the series is introducing something they're calling Hyperdrive. This is an additional power boost that will be given to the team that performs the longest jump on the first jump of each race. Hyperdrive power can then be used by that team if they choose to at any point during the rest of that race, which certainly adds an element of excitement. Championship points are ultimately awarded at the end of the event weekend with bonus points for the longest jump of each race. At the end of the season, like most motorsport racing, the team with the most points scored across all events will be crowned team's champions. And that's plural because, of course, each team has multiple drivers. So both male and female drivers will be crowned as the series champions for that year. Now, 
one thing that sets Extreme E apart from most racing series, and perhaps the most important thing, is how they want to make a lasting difference for the locations in which they are choosing to race. Here's what Extreme E CEO and founder Alejandro Agag has to say about it. We will race on destroyed locations that then we will try to fix or we will try to make a contribution to the local communities on and around those locations. We're going to leave a legacy behind. We're going to work with the local community, with the local authorities, to work on projects that will help the local communities here. They have actually gathered a team of scientific experts that will provide insight, ensuring that Extreme E will leave each location without a trace of the racing series having ever been there and leave a positive impact on the local area. And the legacy projects will be social as well as environmental, involving the local communities as much as possible. From an environmental standpoint, one thing that will help in reducing this impact is quite ingenious. The working headquarters and paddock for this series will be located on a large cargo ship dubbed the St. Helena. This ship will house the teams, staff, support crew, and vehicles for the entire series. So you can see this is not just another racing series. And yes, it's electric, and that's fantastically exciting. But they're really going a step further to make the world a better place for all of us. If you're looking for more information, you can find that on the Extreme E website. It's actually extreme-e.com. And the first race weekend will take place in Alula, Saudi Arabia on April 3rd and 4th. So that's your news and information for this week. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a comment, and keep an eye out for more videos coming soon. If you're listening to the audio of this week's podcast, stick around for the weekly Q&A and ending announcements. Thanks, guys. See you next time. This week's weekly Q&A is brought to you by Charged Future an electric vehicle consultancy helping individuals and businesses achieve their EV and EV charging goals. For more information, you can check out their webpage, www.chargedfuture.com. So two weeks ago, actually, it's been, I asked the question, what is the one thing you learned after buying an EV that you wished you knew beforehand? And of course, I forgot to post it last week, so it's been two weeks now, uh, but we do have some responses, so I'll go ahead and read those. Okay, so Nick Westerman says, range anxiety does not exist. And Tom Anderson says, get a 240-volt home charger and find an electrician to install it. Dave Robinson says, Charging rates and time and range over the breadth of temperatures in my region. My dealer personnel didn't really explain that overly well. Don't get me wrong, my sales guy was very knowledgeable and enthusiastic in answering the questions I thought I needed to ask. And Steve Schubick says, even with a Tesla that got 250 plus miles of charge, the range anxiety outweighed the benefits. So thank you very much for submitting your answers to the question. Uh, and actually on the Facebook post, there was quite a lot of conversation back and forth, uh, especially with Steve's comment. So uh, if you guys want to engage and join the conversation, you can head over to Facebook. This next week's question should prompt some interesting conversation for sure. And that is going to be, have you ever felt range anxiety? And if so, how many miles did you have left to go before your car was expected to run out of energy? 
So go ahead and submit those to hello at ev-resource.com or you can comment on the Facebook post, which I expect uh, a number of you are going to be doing that. All right, so that is your show for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you can, share this podcast with somebody that you think is going to be interested in electric vehicles or uh, somebody that might get value from uh, my blabbering week after week after week here. Uh, I do want to thank our Patreon executive producers. They are now Tom Wiggins, Rajiv Narayan, and Greg Fuller. If you would like to support the EV Resource podcast, you can check us out there at patreon.com slash evresource. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash evresource. As always, I invite your feedback via email to hello at ev-resource.com. You can always leave a comment on the YouTube channel if you uh, mosey on over there to watch uh, which, honestly, if you're listening to the audio only, you might want to go check out the the visuals involved in the YouTube video. It is not just me staring at the camera, yakking, you know, just not not just a talking head. You know, I do try to put some other stuff in there. Uh, so if you like that, let me know. Um, or if you don't like it, you know, just give me some feedback on it. But either way, you know, audio or video, if you would subscribe that way you get the future shows delivered to you automatically. Uh, any of the previous shows, you can find them on the webpage under the podcast section and on many of the major podcast platforms. But thank you guys so much for being with me. It is always a pleasure to do this. I love the engagement and this is a lot of fun for me. And I, I've been doing this now for more than a year and I don't intend to stop. Uh, so on that, I'll catch you next week. Next week.